Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. And recorded at a separate time is Joe Crazy Writer. That's right, our schedules still don't mesh up. Soon though, soon, right after Festivus, our schedules start to mesh up. So we'll actually be recording together again. So this is our previews episode where we go through previews the comic shops catalog this is issue 411 it is the december issue for comics coming out in well everywhere from march to may depending on the publisher and uh, all the other stuff so what we do we go through previews we point out the new things, the collected editions, the uh, special stuff, stuff that you may not recognize. We do not say everything that we're buying because, in other, if we did that, it would be, it, well, it'd be a lot of the same every month, and then it also would be a five-hour episode. So instead, we just point out the new stuff, the stuff that we want to highlight, um, the stuff that is uh, more and more interesting. To us. So here we go. I'm going to start off with the covers. The cover for uh, the comic side is a comic Local Man by Stray Dogs Tony Fleece and Revival's Tim Seeley. A grounded rural crime story with over-the-top superhero action. On the flip cover is Draculina, which is from Dynamite and a spin-off of Vampirella. This one is by Christopher Priest, Michael St. Maria. And then on the spine, because they advertise everywhere in previews, is the Jean-Claude Van Damme action figure. And uh, it, that one really surprises me. Not that they're making one, but that they think that they're going to make enough money by uh, highlighting it. Um, previews has a lot of stuff in the opening about Basically about stuff that's coming out, stuff you can order. There are little articles, short interviews, ads, everything. One of the things that I want to point out, however, is all of the free comic book day stuff. Joe talks about it a little as well. But what it is, free comic book day is the first Saturday of May, May 6th, 2023. And if you, they list all of the comics except those from D.C., that are coming out for free comic book day, as well as they show the artist created shirt for this year, which this year is by Laura Braga, who is an Italian comic book artist, um, storyboard artist for Italian TV commercials. She moved to the comic book industry. She started working for Top Cow and has now done a lot of work at Marvel with Superior Spider-Man, Captain Marvel and the Punisher as well as contributing to other beloved characters such as Batman, Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn. Braga's work was can also be seen with Dynamite Comics, as well as throughout the Archie Horror title Black... I'm sorry, Blossom 666. They also have those little wristbands that I have never worn anywhere for anything because they're annoying. I am actually going to be getting the cinch bag, which is $1.99. I love those bags. They are great because they're, they're waterproof. They're good for carrying comics and stuff around. 
They also have a poster and a lanyard and all this other stuff. So let's get into the comics. We start off first with Image. Image, um, when they do their comics, they have all of the first issues and sort of the restarts or when... Some of the big series have a new story arc starting. They have all of that in the beginning. There was nothing that jumped out at me from their new series. But uh, right after that is their collected series. So I want to point out on page 77, do a powerbomb. From the creator of Murder Falcon and Wonder Woman Dead Earth comes the wrestling adventure of the decade. There are a lot of wrestling comics lately. Lona Steel Rose wants to be a pro wrestler, but she's living under the shadow of her mother, the best to ever do it. Everything changed when a wrestling-obsessed necromancer asked her to join the grandest and most dangerous pro wrestling tournament of all time. It's the wrestler meets Dragon Ball Z in a tale where the competitors get even more than they bargain for. This is a trade paperback collecting the first seven issues of the series. Then... On page 80 is Love Everlasting, Volume 1 by Tom King, Elsa Cherister, and Matt Hollingsworth. I have read the first few issues of this because it's Tom King, one of my favorite writers. I could not wait. And this is one where you read each issue and you're, you're kind of scratching your head wondering what's going on. And then the next issue comes out and it still pulls you in and it's starting to make more and more sense as it goes on. But this is a really, really cool comic. Joan Patterson discovers she is trapped in an endless, terrifying cycle of romance. A problem to be solved, a man to marry. Every time she falls in love, she's torn from her world and thrust into another tear-stoked tale. Her bloody journey to freedom and revelation starts in this breathtaking, groundbreaking collected edition. Then if you go to page 82... It is the third Astro City Metro book. These are trade paperbacks reprinting the entire Astro City series, which has bounced from publisher to publisher to publisher over the years. This is by Kurt Busick, art by Brent Anderson, Alex Ross does the covers. The longest, most sweeping epic in Astro City's history in one volume for the first time across the 1970s and 1980s, Charles and Royal Williams deal with tragedy and obsession. One a cop, one a criminal, both have shaped irrevocably by Astro City's heroes. This is Astro City, The Dark Age, Book 1, Book 2, Book 3, Book 4, Silver Agent, and Aerosmith, the flip book. So it's the Astro City story that's in the flip book. This is the full story of the death and life of the Silver Agent. If you read Astro City, Silver Agent was referenced constantly through the first two Metro books. This is the book that tells his story. And that is all of the stuff from Image that is new. Before we jump into looking at our first publisher, I'll just mention the all the oodles of stuff for Free Comic Book Day, which is the first Saturday in May this year, May 6, 2023. So talk to your friendly neighborhood comic book store and have them pull whatever you're interested in. We, of course, will go to Granite City up in St. Cloud, where he is selling the entire kit and caboodle for everything. For, I don't know, whatever the cost is, plus a little gathering. But 
let's go uh, right away into image. Going to start out on page 48, Local Man by Tim Seeley and Tony Fleece. Once the star circuit of the media sensation super team third gen, Jack, I think it's uh, Xavier, had it all. But when controversy sends cross Jack crawling back to his mom and dad's basement in the Midwest, Jack struggles to fit in the world that he left far behind. And then the bodies start piling up. They say that each issue is a flip book with lead story drawn by Fleece and a superhero flashback into the depths of the Image universe. So I don't know if this is going to be the potential to be crossover with other Image characters or whatever. What made this a must-buy for me is when I read the three pages of art. That Well, actually what they do is they get one big page and then two sideway pages and then another page. So... Again, I absolutely love it when you give me a preview of something because sometimes that pushes me over the edge, whereas the description is just kind of, oh, well, another superhero. Jump to page 56, Almighty number one five-issue miniseries, Edward LaRouche and Brad Simpson. The year is 2098 in a third-world America ravaged by economic collapse, anorics, Anarch warfare, and again, a hyphen in the middle, bad, bad, hard reading, and a mysterious environmental disaster contained behind a massive wall. A girl's been abducted, and a killer's been hired to find her and bring her home. A double-length first issue. Again, one, two, three, four, five, six pages of art. One page with four, two full pages, and it's a miniseries. You know, I, I like a quick miniseries. Not necessarily thrilled about starting a series. The next one is on page 64, The Last Barbarians. You'd think, in a fantastic world full of giants, magic, and flying fish, it would not It would be a world of possibilities, but you'd be dead wrong. S-L-S-Y-L-V is a jack of all trades. She can fight with the best of them, pick most pockets, and even cast a third-level spell or two. Too bad for her that you aren't a member of the guild. If you're not, your person non grata. Completely outcast from adventuring, that might be fine, except she has her disabled, seven-foot-tall brother to take care of. If she can't find a job to support them both, they'll be dead in a ditch in a matter of weeks. So now her only hope is a quest from a sketchy cleric who promises only a true hero can save the day. So this is Brian Hell Berlin and Gerard Van Dyke. Some pages of art. Much appreciated. Full-size pages. Again, this is what decided to get me to want to collect this. The next page, should say the next book, page 68, Monarch Number 1. Story by Rodney Barnes. Art and cover, some covers, by Alex Lynn. Growing up in the city of Compton is tough enough as it is, but Travon has learned all too well growing up as an orphan in the city of Compton with gang members hunting you down. Every day is even tougher, but all that's about to change because today is the day that aliens make first contact with Earth and it only spells doom for life as we know it. A couple pages of art. However, the storyline was convincing enough. And that one's going on my list. On page 73, I'm sorry, 72 and 73, an original graphic novel, Scurry by Max Smith. 
The middle grade webcomic and Kickstarter smash hit from Mac Smith arrives in a single print volume for the entire time. It's a world where humanity is gone and only animals have survived. Wix, a brave scout from a colony of house mice, must embark on a perilous journey into parts unknown where he'll face dangerous threats, fantastic new creatures, and a destiny he never expected. See, we got a couple pages of art again to look at. And this is one of those books if you're, I don't know, buy it for your friend who has a cat or a mouse or, you know, this looks like it could be a possible all-ages book. Again, the first couple pages is kind of a cat and mouse game with a mouse and several cats. I don't know if it gets gorier. Again, that would be the, the thing, but we'll just, uh, you know, when it, when it comes out, we'll probably re-review it. So that's it for me for Image. Corey, what do you got? Next is Boom Comics. I have nothing that is jumping out at me about Boom. There are no new books, uh, no trade paperbacks. Uh, they, they are moving into more creator-owned stuff and more non-licensed stuff, but there's still, I pick up trade paperbacks when series are done and they don't have any big trade paperbacks coming out this month that I am jumping on. So I'm going to head on over to Dark Horse. Next up is Boom. I got nothing new I'm buying from Boom. I will take a mention, though, if you are a horror fan, you should definitely, definitely check out everything that Boom offers every month. I'm not big on horror, but the only one I buy regularly, well, I, I want to buy the graphic novels when I come out. Something is killing the children. And if you'd listened to us all those months ago when we offered this and bought number one, that first printing, I was checking on eBay's go anywhere from 450 bucks low to over a thousand for a decent graded one. So sometimes we know what we're talking about. Again, always take a look at Boom. I'm not big on horror, as I mentioned, but they did have some things. If you are a horror fan, you will probably be intrigued with. Uh, Corey, how about you? Anything from Boom? Dark Horse has a lot of stuff in it, but not all of it is stuff that I pick up. So let's go to the things that I am picking up. Uh, let's see here. On page 152, we have the BRPD Omnibus Volume 5. This is a tie-in with the Hellboy book. This is a side story of the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Dis Defense. Mignola mostly writes this and does covers with other artists doing the art, such as Guy Davis, Tyler Crook, and Duncan Fregredo. Um, I pick up these because I love the Mike Mignola stuff, and it's much easier to read in these omnibuses, which is a great big chunk. The omnibuses from Dark Horse are trade paperbacks that usually go between 400 and 500 pages for 30 bucks. There is also on page 154, Shaolin Cowboy, Cruel to be Kin, the new Joff Darrow series. Joff Darrow is an incredible artist who's done very few comics, but Shaolin Cowboy is one that he writes and draws. In order to keep a newborn Komodo dragon from joining the endangered species list, the Shaolin Cowboy must first make him an orphan and then adopt him to the ways of the intercepting fist to keep their road trip from turning into roadkill. This 
This art is just amazing, the level of detail. The stories are fun, but you, you pick up Joftaro for the un unbelievably, incredibly detailed and beautiful art. Really excited about uh, getting that as a collected group rather than buying it as individual issues because I'm not big on individual issues as much anymore. I do want to point out, I always point out the EC reprints and when they were doing them, I printed out, pointed out the Warren reprints and most of them, well, they've completely reprinted all of Creepy and Eerie in hardcovers and I was able to finally hunt them all down. Um, there were a few that it was hard to find during the time when I was less than fully employed, I think is the best way to put it. However, if you have been waiting for it to get cheap, Creepy Archives Volume 1 Trade Paperback for $20. This reprints Creepy Issues 1 through 5. This was pretty much all written by Archie Goodwin. There are a few stories by Larry Ivey and a couple by Otto Binder. You've got Frank Frazetta doing covers. Alex Toth, Al Williamson, Reed Crandall, Gray Morrow, Angelo Torres, and more doing art. You're never going to get EC again. But Warren, especially early Warren, was a homage to EC. And the first... Creepy and eerie into the six through the sixties were some incredible, incredible horror comics with a killer lineup of artists and with Archie Goodwin writing most of the stories as well as editing. It was a pinnacle of comic art and a pinnacle of horror stories. The fact that they're putting them out as trade paperbacks, go please pick these up. These are amazing books. Now, when you get into the seventies. Warren becomes kind of a roller coaster. Some is really, really good. Some is really, really bad. Some is just mediocre. But the first, I would say the first six, seven years of Warren, especially when Archie Goodwin was editing, it, some of the greatest comics ever printed. And I'm glad that they're putting them out as trade paperbacks so that they're more affordable, just like they're doing with the with the EC stuff, making it more affordable. Okay, on to Dark Horse. Uh, I will mention, uh, honorable mention, on page 138, well, actually, Blue Book, number one of five. Uh, let's see, it's from the New York best-selling and award-winning co-creators of Something is Killing the Children, Nice House on the Lake, and Department of Truth and Powers, it's an ambitious nonfiction comic book experience depicting true stories of UFO abductions with an eye to capturing the strange essence of those encounters. So this is James Tyron IV, Michael Avon Oming, and there's a bunch of variant covers there. Uh, if I have a choice, I would probably either go for the Virgin cover by Tyler Boss or the Jill Thompson because I love Jill Thompson's artwork. So that's a five-issue miniseries, definitely on my list, because you know I like the miniseries. On page 142, Where Monsters Lie, Kyle Starks, Peter Kowalski. Haven't you always wondered what slasher monsters, the masked home invasion family, the mindless unkillable monsters, the serial killer trapped in a doll, what do they do for those couple of years in between their murder sprees? 
Why, they're at Wilmhurst, a gated community in the middle of nowhere where they try to relax, or try to, until they get the call to go out and kill again. So Connor Hayes has survived his first slasher in summer camp. A handful of years later, he barely escapes a psychopath who built tortured puzzles for his victims. Since then, he's been training and planning for running into these creatures again. He's a respected agent, and now he knows where the monsters lie, and he's planning for war. For Issue series, art looks spectacular, as always. So I definitely recommend that. I'm not buying it, but if you're a He-Man or Masters Universe fan, on page 144, there's a four-issue miniseries, Master of the Universe, Masterverse. Tim Seeley, Ed Nunez, page of art to look at. And again, mention this. Because you, if you are a Masters of the Universe, you're going to want them all and pick up all the variant covers, which are pictured there, including the one by Sergio Argonis, which is pretty cool. Also, if you're a Stranger Things fan, Stranger Things Tales from Hawk and Miniseries is on the very next page with assorted mini, or I should say variant covers you can choose from. Rolling right down the line on page 149, Murky World Hardcover by Richard Corbin. Oh, you had me at Richard Corbin. In Murky World, Tugat, the warrior, wakes from a strange dream only to find himself in a bizarre land populated by hungry deadlings, cruel necromancers, a buxom cyclops, the best kind, evil cults, and more, as he sets off on a dangerous journey with his beloved horse, Fritz. This is the first in a series of deluxe graphic novels from renowned creator Richard Corbin's library. And I am looking forward to this. Uh, this, again, first one to be published by Dark Horse, special edition. Puts the entire Murky World series in print for the first time. Also features behind-the-scenes sketchworks that have never been seen before. The Dark Horse presents one shot. And a foreword by Hellboy creator Mike Magnolia. So, because Richard Corbin, hey, I, I like it. Uh, go back a page because I skipped over it. Page 148, Space Jobs. Uh, Four-issue series, David A. Goodman, Elvo Sarasica. Sorry, you know how it is. If I screw up your name, call us. We'll, we'll correct it online. After five long years of soul-crushing servitude as a chef's assistant, Danny Sheridan is getting his dream job in space as first officer aboard the SS George H.W. Bush. But on his first day, he finds himself crashing back to reality. Nothing seems right. The crew is subpar. Something's going on. And First Officer Danny Sheridan is going to get to the bottom of it or die trying. All these are one of those where I'm like, ah, I will probably get the miniseries. But you know Dark Horse is going to have it come out in book form. So if you're into that, case in point, let's go forward. The Final Girls Trade Paperback. Carla Ellison, Sally Torino. This is one of those... I believe it was a digital series, and it's the first time it's in print. When the world's most powerful working hero asks her retired peers for help, they secretly agree to deal out punishment on another hero in the public eye. But when the weapon of publicity is wielded, it threatens to kick up all the personal traumas of the heroes, past and present. So this is the first time I believe in print, and again, it, it sounds fantastic. The final thing for me is again another series that was on digital first and now in print for the first time, The Lost Falls. Kurt Pires, Antonio Fuso, when Detective Daniel... 
I'll just call him Detective Daniel. Wakes up in Lost Falls on the shore with no recollection of how he got there. He struggles to piece together the events that lead him there. So he investigates the phenomena surrounding his memory loss and the town itself. He discovers horrors, both human and otherwise. I Something about waking up and not knowing where you're going, adventures or things like that, just they, they hit my sweet spot. And that's the type of thing that I really, really enjoy. That's it for Dark Horse. Corey, what do you got from uh, our good buddies down there? Next up is Dynamite. Dynamite is uh, pretty much a bad girl publisher at this point with, uh, see, Draculina and Barbarella and Red Sonia and, um, gosh, they, they have some tie-in stuff with Disney, such as Gargoyles and Darkwing Duck. But none of the stuff at Dynamite is really aimed at me. There is one book that I am going to pick up, however, and that's on page 203, Supercade, a visual arcade, a visual history of the video game age, 1985 to 2001, trade paperback. Did not know if this was ever a hardcover, or I probably would have picked it up then. The long-awaited sequel to Supercade, the visual arcade visual history of the video game age, 1971 to 1984, the first book to illustrate the video game phenomenon in the years since the original Supercade was originally published, the next generation of gamers have come of age. Raised in the aftermath of the crash, the grand arcade palaces of the early 80s were replaced by battered Neo Geo cabinets in laundromats and the few remaining game parlors begging for play. These are the children of the Nintendo Entertainment System, the home console that saved the U.S. game industry after Atari effectively destroyed it. Video game history is something that I have become very interested in over the years because... I was part of it. You know, I remember going to arcades. That would be a Saturday night. That would be the big thing to do. And then, like they said, there was a video game crash. We still had video games here and there, but the big, you know, you go to the mall and there's the great big um, Aladdin's Castle and things like that. They, They had faded until the fighting games came out. And then when the fighting games became big, Arcades came back, and this is a book about that. It looks to be a beautiful package. Really excited to read it. Um, And I think that is all. Yep, that is all from Dynamite. Next up, Dynamite. Not a lot of these I'm going to collect, but I will mention if you're into Draculina, a new series on page 174 with variant covers as well. There's an interview from the creator, Christopher Priest, on the very next page. Page 180, Barbarella's back. The center cannot hold. Again, a bunch of variant covers. And on the next page, talk to uh, interview with writer Sarah Hoyt, which is always appreciated. I like that Dynamite does that. If you're a Madball or Garbage Pail Kid, try Madballs versus Garbage Pail Kids. Time again, slime again. And again, go forward. You get a couple pages of art, and you get... An interview with writer Shelly Fish and artist Jason Crosby. I think kids would like that as well. If you're a Gargoyles fan and you did not pick up the Gargoyles number one way back when, I was at a couple comic shows we'll talk about when we get to geeking. 
Holy moly, did the price of that baby go up in price. Here's your chance to get it, page 198, Gargoyles number one facsimile edition. Originally published in 1995, this Gargoyles tale spun out of the Smash TV animated series and featured early work by comic superstar Amanda Connor. Don't worry, she probably didn't do anything since then. So, so you got the facsimile edition, which is four bucks, the gold foil cover, and the purple foil cover, a little bit more. So... This is your second chance. Don't say we didn't warn you. On page 202, an intriguing book, Supercade, the visual history of the video game age 1985 to 2001. It's a long-awaited sequel to Supercade, a visual history of the video game age 71 to 84, the first book to illustrate video game phenomena. I don't know how I missed that. We must have talked about it. Maybe Corey's got it. I'll borrow his copy, but it's a little more expensive. But it covers quite a lot of things. And this was kind of my my sweet spot. Well, I seem to be saying that a lot today. That would be today's terminology. Sweet spot. I hit the video arcades. That was kind of my thing in high school. Friday nights, grab as many cars as you can. Go play the game. Eventually, as the 2000s went on and the actual video arcades kind of died out in favor of computer games and things like that. I remember the place we went to kind of went all ages. And then it was... Restricted ages because they served alcohol, and then it was adults only after 9 o'clock. The games got more complex. I got to be quarter eaters. Gauntlet, I'm looking at you. So for me, this is kind of much like the books Corey mentions from tomorrow, where they talk about the comic industry. I'll be able to read about what was going on, as well as remembering what I was playing and how I was playing it. So I will probably pick this up, and then I'll have to be go look to see if I have a copy of the original Super Arcade or not. Ah, I'm telling you, man, sometimes my collection just gets out of control. And of course, I the thing I love about Dynamite is they always have the fun stuff. It's located on page 210. So you got a couple hollow foil limited covers, a little more expensive. They have uh, three from the boys, including down below, there's the boys Highland Laddie number one virgin cover signed by Garth Ennis. So check that out. And if you like uh, Jose Gonzalez, there's that famous classic Vampirilla door poster next to it. Boy, will you, your wife be impressed when you put that up on the door. What do you think, Corey? You think she might? Huh? Anyways, that's what I'm getting from Dynamite. Corey, how about you? Anything from Dynamite? Okay, let's look at DC. We're on DC Connect, issue number 31, dated December 2022. Right away on page one. 2023 is the dawn of DC. I think, I don't know, what are you going to call this? A soft reboot or something? But Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, The Flash, Shazam, Aquaman, The Titans. They are the greatest superheroes the world has ever known, unflinching in their quest to help set right a world so often gone wrong. In the wake of the dark crisis on infinite Earths and the Lazarus planet, these heroes have emerged victorious from the biggest, most devastating battles of their lives and are reinvigorated in their battle against evil. It's always darkest before the dawn, and the DC universe is heading toward the light. Enter the dawn of DC. New epic storylines, new titles, new creative team, new villains. And it starts right away on page one where you got Superman, the dawn of DC. Again, Marvel, look at this. They got a picture of all the variant covers. Even if I wasn't going to pick up the Superman number one, and I'm, I probably won't, I may pick it up just for some of the variant covers. There's a Kubert variant cover. I love the colon one. The uh, Jimenez variant cover. 
and then even show some of it. It's, it again, you know, you should be able to show some of the variant covers because it does get me interested. And then on page three, oh, I can't read my own writing. Sorry, folks. Let me just uh, blah 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 blah. There it is. I'm sorry, page 14. Batman One Bad Day Clayface. Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing. I am not going to try to pronounce the name of the art. I lied. Sir Monico. All Basil Carlo ever wanted to be was an actor. No, one of the greatest actors there's ever been. However, his life went off the course when he became the shape-shifting monster known as Clayface. After years of doing battle with Batman in Gotham City, and dissing himself from the dream, Clayface goes out west to Los Angeles, creates a new identity, and tries to pursue his dream of acting, only to find that Gotham City isn't the only place with an overwhelming sense of dread. I will pick this up. It looks good. Three page, four pages of art kind of previewed. Hey, look, all the variant covers are shown. The one thing that baffles me on this particular thing, you'd think a guy like Clayface would be absolutely sought after in Hollywood because, first of all, he's immortal. Second of all, he's almost indestructible. And third, he can pretty much do whatever you want. Hey, we need you to do Grand Moff Tarkin in the new Star Wars. Sorry, Disney, just settle down. I'm making a point here. He can do it. We need to finish off Carrie Fisher because she passed away before we did the finished. I can do that as well. I Again, I, there's certain internal logics where I think, yeah, I understand it's Kate's away from the drama, but I'm going to pick this up anyways, even though the premise I find kind of weird. On page 20, Batman Spawn the Deluxe Edition. This has everything in it. The Batman Spawn one-shot that Frank Miller and McFarland did, the Batman Spawn War Devil one, and the Spawn Batman one that just got published. So if you just want it all in one, I believe this is your bad boy. Let's see, $29.99. And as I have them all, I don't know, I might pick it up. You know, I tend to want to go to the book form because as I get older and, and crankier, I just want to read it. I don't want to, like, dig out 500,000 back issues to try to catch it. On page 29, I will mention out to you people who like the Sandman and the Sandman Universe. A couple books, Sandman Universe, Nightmare County, Volume 1, and comes offered in both... Trade and hardcover. So you can decide which one you're going for. I don't recall reading this. I, $10 more to get the hardcover. Most of my salmon stuff is in hardcover, so I'll probably pick it up that way. On page 34, oh, this is so cool. Wiz Comics number two facsimile edition. Holy moly, you got a couple hundred thousand dollars lying around, go get a real one. But for me, this is the way to read it. And because I've been talking quite a bit and i got to take a breath, Corey, tell the good folks why there wasn't a Wiz Comics number one. DC Comics, um, they are sort of uh, doing a soft reboot on Superman. They have on the cover Dawn of DC Superman. Um, Dawn of DC is going to be sort of their big relaunch after Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, where new series are going to be spinning out of that. They haven't announced a lot of the series, but it really feels like, once again, another DC soft reboot. Um, 
Superman is Getting a New Number One by Josh Williams, Jason Campbell. Superman is returned to Metropolis, and his greatest enemy, Lex Luthor, is finally behind bars. The future of the Superman family has never been brighter. Clark Kent settles back into life. Iconic and new enemies erupt in the shadow from the shadows to strike down the Man of Steel. But waiting in the wings to back up Big Blue is Supercorp. What secret project has Lex given to Superman? A hero is only as good as his villains will be put to the test in this new oversized number one. It looks like in a lot of ways they're putting the genie back in the bottle. No one will know that Clark Kent is Superman. Um, that's why I feel it's going to be kind of a soft reboot. But again, we don't have a lot of the details. A lot of it is going to be in Action Comics 1050, which comes out in January. So we'll see where they go from there. Uh, we get more tie-ins to the Lazarus planet, including the conclusion of that big crossover. But mostly with DC, I go for the collected editions. And in a lot of ways, there aren't a lot of collected editions. And it's been that way for a while. So I do want to point out that on page 20 of the DC Connect, you have Batman Spawn, the deluxe edition. This reprints Batman Spawn and Spawn Batman in a hardcover, 280 pages, $29.99. This deluxe edition has the uh, also has the 2022 Batman Spawn one-shot, 1994's Batman Spawn War Devil, and Spawn Batman number one, a gallery of behind-the-scenes art from the new story and the original titles from the 90s. When Batman Spawn came out, it was one of those where the one by Frank Miller and... Todd McFarlane was cool because, oh, it's Frank Miller and Todd McFarlane. And the art was very Todd McFarlane. And the story was very tough guy, Frank Miller. Um, the one that DC did, the Batman Spawn, was by Doug Bench, Chug Dixon, Alan Grant, and Klaus Janssen. And while the story was a little more grounded and... Um, I think the story was better constructed. The art by Klaus Janssen I liked, but I don't remember loving it. However, these intercompany crossovers, if you want them, you need to buy them when they come out because it's rare that they do reprints and even more rare that they keep these things in print. So I highly recommend that if you are at all interested in this, pick it up because you may not be able to pick it up later. Also on page 24, we have the Milestone 30th Anniversary Special. Um, explore 30 years of static, icon, rocket, hardware, and the rest of the Dakotaverse in the star-studded anthology. From a Static and Batman Beyond team-up, hearkening back to their adventures in Static Shock animated series, a grown-up Raquel Urban inheriting the mantle of icon a reality warping story where the present day milestone characters meet their 1993 counterparts uh it's a it's one of those ten dollar um hundred pagers i'm a huge milestone fan i have been picking up the collected versions of the milestone miniseries they are putting out are, are they as good as the originals it's hard to say because the originals had this energy around them, but the ones they're doing now are in a lot of ways on better footing. 
the creators are more sure of themselves. So it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. I do like the reboot. I do think they're doing a good job with it, but I miss the originals as well. So I'm looking forward to picking up this uh, one shot. There is another one shot on page 26. I like these 100 page one shots because they are pretty much anthologies. It's a way DC has figured out how to do anthologies. So you can sample a bunch of creators. You get a number of good short stories. And one of the things is if you read a anthology and over half the stories are great, it's well worth it just because you're kind of, um, in a lot of ways, you're getting a sampler. Who are these creators? What kind of stories can they do? The theme for this one, Shazam Fury, the God Special. Shaz Family Matters. Um, it has all of the different Shazam characters with Zachary Levi, Ross Butler, uh, Adam Brody, Henry Galen, Colleen Duran, Tim Seeley. The art is mostly by Freddie Williams II and Andrew Drylon. Um, again, I like anthologies, so I'm looking forward to this one. I also like, uh, I, I like the, I like the Shazam family. I don't like a lot of what DC has done with it back and forth over the years. So I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that I like this. I'm hoping that I, it's, it's well put together and, and worth reading. Uh, Joe is big on the facsimile editions. I am going to be picking up the on page 34, Wiz Comics number two facsimile edition. One of the things is that Wiz Comics number two was the first issue of Wiz Comics. They rushed out a what is an ash can. And what that was, that was a small sort of proof of concept comic. Usually it was done black and white. It was smaller than regular, basically just to secure the copyright. And the character in Wiz Comics number one, it was also Thunder Comics number one, was Captain Thunder. And it was put out there just to make sure that they got the copyright on Captain Marvel so that it was, um, nobody could... Nobody could take the character from them because in the real early days of comics, there was a lot of that, a lot of where if somebody got wind of a character being created, somebody else would uh, rush out a version. And I've talked about that in a number of different podcasts. And when it uh, is appropriate, we'll go into it in detail. But right now, this is just a reprint of the first planned appearance of Captain Marvel that was published and available for everybody. Okay, I feel much better now. Thank you, Craig. Right across from The Wiz is The Batman Who Laughs, the deluxe edition. I may pick this up because I'm aware. I have friends who are really into The Batman Who Laughs. They just love him. I couldn't tell him anything about it other than he's from the Dark Multiverse. So here's your chance to pick it all up in the full seven-issue miniseries and the one-shot special. It's a hardcover, so if you're cheap like me and want to wait for the soft cover, you might do that. On page 47, I'll let you catch up. Two books right on top of each other, Power Girl, Power Trip. It's the Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmati, Jeff Johns, and Amanda Connor. Wait, didn't we just mention her earlier? Anyways, Power Girl is making a fresh start. She's left behind her old life on old Earth to reinvent herself in New York City. 
when the human brain ape body entity known as the Ultra Humanite and his followers plan to take control of Power Girl's superhuman body, she'll have to battle through the skies and streets to save her life. This collects the JSA Classified 1 through 4 and Power Girl 1 through 12, which was a phenomenal miniseries. One of those that got kind of shunted away by the DC Flashpoint reboot, rebirth, whatever the heck they called that thing, the New 52, I believe. Later issues of Power Girl are insanely expensive because nobody was buying them and they all had Adam Hughes covers. But this was a fun series, so here's your chance to pick it up anew. Underneath it, Batman, Batman, Sandman, Mystery Theater Compendium 1 by Matt Wagner and Steven Seagal. I got to check. I may have the Omnibus. If not, this is a great way to do it. I'm absolutely loving the Starman Compendium. It's a huge, thick book for $59.99. But it covers Sandman Mystery Theater 1 through 36 and the annual. And it has an introduction from comedian Patton Oswalt, who is the voice of Matthew the Raven on Netflix The, Sa Netflix, the Sandman, which if you hadn't heard, and I believe we gapped about it, has been approved for a second season. Hooray! That's it for me for DC. Corey, tell the good folks what you're looking to buy and maybe a little bit more about the trade paperbacks. As I looked through, they did not have any omnibuses listed in this month's um, DC Connect, which really surprised me because a lot of money is made on those. They do have a couple books that I want to point out. First is Legends of the DC Universe, Carmine Infantino, which is a 50-page book, 50-page hardcover, 400 pages, highlighting the art of Carmine Infantino. It does have a, some of his stuff from the Golden Age, some of his stuff from the Atomic Age, and some of his stuff from the Silver Age. It does have also, let's see here, uh, Danger Trail 1 through 4, some Batman stories, a Flash story, Adventures of Rex the Wonder Dog. A lot of the stuff that uh, the fans of Carmine Infantino liked. I'm I'm on the fence on this. I may get it, I may not. It depends on how big the the my bill is. Because Carmine Infantino is an artist I appreciate, but I don't like. I appreciate him. I understand his place in comics history, but his angular style just always rubbed me the wrong way. And at DC in the Silver Age, those edges were sort of polished off by DC's inking. But when he went over to Marvel, it really... It, I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but I did not care for his art over at Marvel, and that's the first time I saw his art. And it has kind of co colored my vision of his art. There is one book on page 47 that I am so excited for. That is Sandman Mystery Theater Compendium. Sandman Mystery Theater was a series that came out same time as Sandman. This was about the Golden Age Sandman, and it was written by Matt Wagner and Steven Siegel, and he used artists from the indies. So you had um, Guy Davis, John Watkins, R.G. Taylor. I just finished reading R.G. Taylor's 12-issue um, miniseries he did for Renegade Press back in the 80s, Wordsmith. Oh, that stuff is so good. 
Um, I absolutely love this series. This is the compendiums are big, thick trade paperbacks. They're you know the size of an omnibus, but they're paperbacks instead. So it's 584 pages for 60 bucks. It reprints um, issues one through 36 and the Sandman Mystery Theater Annual. Has a let's see, it has a introduction by comedian Patton Oswald, the voice of Matthew the Raven on Netflix's The Sandman. And that is it for DC. Which is probably a good thing because Marvel, um, we talked about how last month the comics coming out in February, there aren't going to be a lot of them. My my actual bill for comics that month was the lowest it's been in a few years. Well, DC, Marvel comes roaring back, <laughs> desperately trying to take all of my money. All right, set that big previews aside, grab your Marvel... Supplement number 15 for uh, December for books coming out February 2023. By the way, it's my birthday that month, so if you want to get me like an omnibus or something, I would never say no. So we're going to jump right away to page 8, Red Goblin number 1, the newest and deadliest Red Goblin. Again, first appearances can be big, so you, even if you don't want to read it, it's worth picking up. Spinning out of the pages of Venom. Normie Osborn, the kid, receives his own symbiote at last. As a new Red Goblin, will Normie fulfill his destiny as an Osborn, or will he and the symbiote be able to make a difference for the better? Now, here's I'm going to stop quickly and kind of call out Marvel. Marvel, I don't know if you've noticed, everybody else in the catalog, including DC, they show the variant covers. You don't do that. I would probably buy more variant covers if you'd actually show it instead of just saying, you know, sometimes you got to count like variant cover by Derek Chu. If I like Derek, I know I'm going to buy it. Variant cover by TBA. Another one by TBA. No, Marvel, you really got to step up your game. The last couple months have sucked because you've been soliciting things at different times, which is really, really hard on a retailer. I hope things are catching up. You know, it's one thing when you mention, okay, yeah, this month order Red Goblin. Yeah, but your retailer had to order it last month for whatever reason. So, again, step up. Show me the damn variant covers. Or, like some of the other guys do, put that little scan code in there. Say, go here to look at the variant covers. I'll take you back to page one, the Disney 100 variant cover for Amazing Spider-Man 19. I'd have pre-ordered one of those had I known you offered it. But you didn't, so I didn't. And maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I won't. So, again, that's kind of a freaking on you, Marvel. I expect better from you. Then again, who knows? Meantime, jump to page 22. Silver Surfer Ghost Light. John Jennings, Valentine DeLandro. Tony Brooks and her family have moved into the quiet town of Sweetwater, but nothing's quite what it seems in their new home. What mystery did Tony and her family unravel that would call upon the Sentinels of the Spaceways the Silver Surfer, and just who or what is Ghost Light. So you got my attention on this one because it's a miniseries, and I do like Silver Surfer. The next page has a facsimile, Avengers 8, first appearance of Kang the Conqueror. And you know me, I love my facsimile stuff. 
Speaking of which, jump to page 44. Dun, dun, dun. There's an amazing Spider-Man 129 facsimile edition. The first appearance of the Punisher. Which, again, these are fun because they got the letter pages, the ads. Just kind of, kind of uh, again, I didn't start reading comics until way after this, but I was able to eventually pick up a copy of Spider-Man 129. Sold it. Oh, why, why did I sell anything? So, anyways, here's my second chance. No complaining if I missed it. On page 51, I will mention Marvel Voices Wakanda Forever number one. Marvel celebrates Black History Month with a special one-shot featuring the iconic heroes of Wakanda. I mention this not because I pre-order it, because this is the book. When I go visit a comic shop, you know, I like to buy something, even if there's nothing there. But if I see you bought a Marvel Voices... I will pick one up and buy it from you, which means I'm paying the full price as opposed to, well, when we pre-order it, we usually get a discount. So I like to support comic shops that way. Again, if you are really, really into it, you definitely want to pick it up or maybe even pick up the uh, Planet of the Apes variant covers, which seem to be prevalent. Um, I'm looking on page 53. They got a couple interesting covers. I don't normally buy things for covers, but they mentioned the Planet of the Apes variant, but there's also the No Prize variant cover, and you actually got a picture of it, which cracks me up. I think that is brilliant. Uh, and I may just order just for that their cover now. Let's see. I'm going to take a pause now, Corey, catch up on the comic books, and then we'll talk graphic novels. Um, we have a number of miniseries that tie in with Dark Web. Uh, the Dark Web finale is also this month. That's the big Spider-Man X-Men crossover. Um, I do want to point out Avengers End Times, Marvel Tales number one, which is a $7.99 reprint of Avengers 31 through 34, the explosive climax of Brian Michael Bendis's long and revolutionary run, um, has the art of Mike Mayhew, Brandon Peterson, Terry Dodson, and many, many others. I like these Marvel Tales reprints. They reprint stuff on the cheap. Uh, if this were a trade paperback, it'd be $14.99 or $17.99, but instead you can pick it up for $7.99, regular comic size. There is another Demon Wars, which is the comic by Peach Momoku, where she takes Marvel characters and puts them into Japanese mythos. This is Down in Flames, which is Phoenix versus Magic. We also have Avengers number eight, the facsimile edition, which reprints the first appearance of Kang the Conqueror. And if you're like me, you think, oh, when they do those reprints, that means that he's going to be getting a big push. Well, they've been talking about giving King the Conqueror a big push for the, I don't know, four or five years, it seems like. So the fact that they're going to finally reprint that issue does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Um, just wondering how long it's going to be before we get this huge... Um, Kang push in the Marvel Universe. We also have another facsimile edition on page 44, which is the Amazing Spider-Man 129 facsimile edition, reprints the first appearance of the Punisher. Believe it or not, that was part of the uh, Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man clone saga, because when the Punisher first appeared, he was a mercenary who had been uh, hired by the Jackal to take out Spider-Man. Yes, somebody else was hiring people to take out Spider-Man rather than just J. Jonah Jameson. And that's it for the regular comics. When we get to the collected books, 
All right, we're looking at Marvel Graphic Novels, page 89, Immortal Hulk Omnibus, hardcover. I don't believe I ordered it the first time around, so I will probably order it this time, and then I'll be selling off my Omnibus collection. So I will probably choose... I, well, there's a couple good Alex Ross covers. I'll probably do that A one where he's bursting out, because that one looks pretty good. On page 101... Again, now, this is just stuff I'm going to buy. Corey will go through pretty much everything and, and let you know. Wolverine Weapon X Deluxe Edition trade paperback. I know I have the hardcover somewhere, but the Deluxe Edition's fun because it adds a couple extra stuff that actually deals with the Weapon X storyline. This was a groundbreaking series written by Barry Windsor Smith with Chris Claremont and Frank Tierra. Drawn by him. It was originally in, I think... Marvel Classic Comics or something. It was just a, like a weekly or bi-weekly miniseries. And everybody went ape nuts. It's a reference to Planet of the Apes. Yeah, mainly because we this was the first time we had seen anything in Wolverine's past. So we were able to cover it. So that was kind of fun. There are a number of Guardians of the Galaxy books out. The one I know I will pick up because I don't have it. Guardians of the Galaxy by Donny Cates, page 103. This is his complete Guardian Saga, which is the 2019, 1 through 12, and the annual one. I think I have the other stuff, the Hickman stuff, or the uh, Bendis stuff, I'm sorry, including the previous pages, Star-Lord Saga, the Peter Quill. I have that in other formats. I'm going to do a quick double check and probably end up ordering it. Corey, what... Uh, what Graphic novel goodness, do you got a? Will you be picking up from Marvel? This is where the money just starts to stack up. We have another of the reprint, the omnibuses that reprints an entire month of Marvel. This one is July 1963, which was when we got the first issues of the Avengers and the X Men. And for those of you who don't know, the Avengers was an actual rush job put into the schedule because Daredevil number one was running late. And it was, oh crap, we need a book to fill. So uh, Lee and Kirby whipped up the Avengers pretty quickly. This reprints every comic that was on the stands for Marvel in 1963. The In the early days of Marvel... They only could put out eight books a month, although they pushed that with annuals and special issues and things like that. So a lot of their books were bi-monthly. So these reprint everything that would have been on the stands. So it's not just the books that came out in 1963. It has some of the books that came out um, either in June or August, basically to give you a sample of everything Marvel put, was putting out. So this has Avengers number one, Amazing Spider-Man number five, Fantastic Four number 19, and Annual number one, Journey into Mysteries 96, Modeling with Millie number 25, Patsy and Hetty number 90, and Annual number one. They would sneak those annuals in thinking the distributor wouldn't realize that, hey, you, you, you're publishing too many comics this month. And for the most part, it worked. Patsy Walker, number 109, Rawhide Kid, number 36, Sergeant Fury, number 3. See, by this time, the Hulk had already been canceled because Hulk was canceled and replaced by Sergeant Fury. Strange Tales, number 113, Tales of Suspense, 46, Tales to Astonish, 48. 
X-Men number one. Kathy, number 25, Kid Cole Outlaw, 113, Millie the Model, 117, and Two Gun Kid, number 66. This is uh, 656 pages for 100 bucks. Cheaper if you go with a discount retailer. I am trying to decide between the X-Men cover and the Avengers cover, and it's the first time I've seen the two covers next to each other, and they're pretty much the same design, where the villain is kind of mostly off the page on the left-hand side, and the heroes are all rushing toward him from the right. I never realized that they were pretty much the same cover. Um, our next omnibus is The Black Cat by Jed McKay Omnibus, which reprints the Black Cat 1 through 12, the annual, the second series 1 through 10, and a bunch of tie-ins. Jed McKay's Black Cat has been very well done. I am looking forward to picking this up. I do like that they're when a modern series wraps, they're putting it in an omnibus. We also have Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider Omnibus. This is the second uh, Spider-Gwen. When they finally said, okay, we're not going to call her Spider-Gwen anymore. We're going to call her Ghost Spider, but everybody still calls her Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen's one of my favorite characters. I like the fact that they kind of did the switch where she's the one who survived. And it has given her far more personality than Stan Lee ever did. Um, Stan did a lot of good stuff, but one of the problems he had in the Spider-Man books is that, uh, once, well, in a lot of the books, once somebody became a hero's girlfriend, they became the, oh no, ro you know, crying romance lead. And usually we're kind of, uh, one and a half dimensional. I do, I like the fact that they have kind of given Gwen a personality. And it's a personality I like. The costume design is cool. And I I, I like Spider-Gwen. I think it's a fun character. For those of you who are into the Ultimate line, there is Ultimate X-Men Volume 2, which reprints Ultimate X-Men 34 through 74, as well as the tie-ins. I think that's everything leading up to the, uh, oh, I forget the name of the miniseries, Ultimatum which, for all intents and purposes, killed the Ultimate Universe. Ugh, I, I, I'll have to talk about that with Joe someday. Also, the Al Ewing Immortal Hulk is being reprinted in one great big volume, um, issues 0 through 50, as well as the tie-ins. Um, this was an amazing comic. This was just an amazing comic, and it made Hulk into a horror character. And every time you thought, oh, they are reaching near the end, they would kind of use that to open up the world a little more. Uh, this was just a phenomenal run on the Hulk. Uh, Al Ewing is somebody who, he came over from British comics, and his stuff has not sold great until this. But he's somebody who takes the Marvel characters and kind of finds a new angle on them that no one else has tried. And this is just an amazing, amazing comic. Highly recommended. I'm glad to get this as an omnibus. Lots of stuff this month. We also have a reprint of the Marvel Zomnibus, which reprints all of the Marvel Zombies series. 
So this is uh, Marvel Zombies 1, 2, Marvel Zombies Return, Marvel Zombies 3, Marvel Zombies 4, 5, Marvel Zombies Supreme, um, all of the one-shots, the two stories in Ultimate Fantastic Four that started it all. They have printed this before. This is a reprint. Both of the covers are by Arthur Sedam, and uh, I am probably going to go with the one that is based on Amazing Fantasy number 15, the Spider-Man cover. We also, on the next page, have a book I'm not going to get because I have it as an omnibus, but I do want to point it out. Um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, Spider-Man Gallery Edition. This reprints the Spider-Man Blue series that they did. It's a larger size so that the art is shown off better. If you've not read the story, it's it's incredible. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, when they get together, they kind of do different definitive stories and this is kind of the definitive story of the life of Gwen Stacy uh in and around Spider-Man Tim Sale passed away last oh I think it was either last year or this year I can't remember but his art in this is beautiful and uh this is a highly recommended story just a highly recommended story Let's see the rest of the trade paperbacks and hardcovers the trial of x volume 7 I am this is how I pick up the X-Men. They are reprinting them kind of the month by month, reprinting the main parts of the story. I enjoy this. I think this is the best way to read the X-Men. I hope they continue this as the X-Men kind of move into their next... I don't know what to put it. Their, their next incarnation. They've really sort of have defined eras with the X-Men now as a big story arc concludes and moves into the next one. Um, we've also got some Guardians of the Galaxy books because there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie coming out. When we get to the Epic Collections, we've got uh, Daredevil Volume 6, which reprints Daredevil number 108 to 132. Incredible Hulk number 24, which reprints Hulk 460 to 474. We have a new printing of the Doctor Strange Volume 8, a new printing of Fantastic Four The Coming of Galactus, which is Fantastic Four number 33 to 51. If you were to only buy two volumes to get the full feel of the Fantastic Four, you should get number three and number four because it has the lead into the Inhumans, which then goes into Galactus. And then after Galactus, you get Kirby's phenomenal kind of explosion of creativity, which ends with the him uh, story. So if you ever want to see the peak of Marvel Silver Age, it's Fantastic Four Epic Collection, Volumes 3 and 4. We also get another Carnage Epic Collection, which reprints all of his appearances after the first one. I find it interesting that Carnage is never had a series until just recently, but he's now had two Epic Collections. And then the last thing that I want to point out is the the kind of smaller Marvel Masterworks that they do. It does not look like they have one this No, they are not printing one this month. That's very surprising. So there you go. That is Marvel. And now we do the rest of previews. Normally when Corey and I do this, 
we do round robin, but what I'll do is I'll do five and then I'll take a pause and let Corey do five and we'll get through this, no problem. My first one is on page 318, Seven Years in Darkness. This is from Sex Publishing, C-E-X. The Academy of Black Magic has reopened its doors for the first time in 200 years. 72 children walk through the Academy doors for freshman year, but only seven will graduate and walk out alive. Their seven-year journey starts here in this dark and sweeping fantasy epic from acclaimed comic creator Joe Shemelk. Two covers to choose from. Hey, look at that. Both are shown. So next, I'll draw your attention to page 322. The Lady Death Omnibus. If you've been buying through their Kickstarter, which is always fun because you can always just get the low-end book and you'll get tons of swag because this stuff blows up all over. But the Omnibus is offered here for the first time. You could have ordered it through their Kickstarter and you should be getting it. I imagine they have extras they'll be offering here. So if you like the storyline, and this is, believe me, this is a, more of a no holds barred storyline because they don't have to deal with comic shops. They don't have to deal with cranky fans or whatever. If you like Lady Death, this might be a way to do it. Coffin Comics also shows some of the cool variant covers that are oftentimes offered on their Kickstarter. But uh, I just thought I'd mention that out because I know I don't have the Lady Death Omnibus. Here's my chance to get it. Page 328, I'm going to mention something interesting under Dynamic Forces. Jim Starlin's personal file copies. An incredible opportunity has been given for fans of Starlin's legendary career to get personal copies of his classic work signed by the artist himself. Starlin has opened his library and has given us copies of these incredible books, each signed by the artist. Various comic creators have done this in the past. My favorite was the Stan Lee file copy from his personal library that was so beat up it got a 0.0 when it was graded. It was the only book CGC said they would ever do that. I've had ones done from Mark Wade. You usually get a certificate that says this is from his library. I think the one I got was a uh, Jerry Lewis when he like saw Superman or Batman or something like that. Uh, I traded it to somebody long ago, but here he's offering Silver Surfer 47, Strange Tales 180, and a Death of Captain Marvel original graphic novel. I have no idea how this goes. They do not guarantee the condition of the file copies. I know the file copy I got from Mark Wade was kind of beat to heck, and they're a little pricey. The cheapest one is 300 bucks, and I don't know if this is only one or if, like, he has a bunch, because usually a creator will be given uh, comp copies of their books when they're sent. So there could be more than one, but here's your chance, something unique, and I really dig signatures, so I got to kind of decide if I want to get that or if a few more omnibuses. Tough choices, but I'm a tough guy. The next one on page 330. Don't get paper cuts because I'm close to getting that. Beyond the Farthest Star. This is Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated. Beyond the Farthest Star Restored Edition. When Nazi warplanes blast an American fighter pilot out of the sky, he awakens not in the expected afterlife, but on a far-flung planet, one of 11 interconnected worlds hurtling around a strangely constructed star system. Polonda. On that planet, he earns a new name, Tangor, one who came from nothing, and a new home. 
is, let's see, da -da 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 -da. when news comes of a powerful invention that could turn the tides of conflict, Tongar must undertake a daring undercover mission behind enemy lines. There, in vile Kapara, he will not only risk his life and limb, but also brand himself as a traitor in the eyes of his newfound friends. The original part one of Beyond the Farthest Star was heavily edited with substantial number of line edits and several lengthy passages excised throughout. This edition returns to Edgar Rice Burroughs' original typescript, restoring the author's preferred text in the novel. And you got a front piece by renowned artist Mark Schultz. So between Edgar Rice Burroughs and art by Mark Schultz and Roy G. Krenkel, it's a little pricey. I mean, I'll probably go for the hardcover because it sounds really cool for 35 bucks. The soft cover is 20 bucks. So you got a couple good choices to go for. And the last one I'll mention, and then I'll let Corey talk a little bit, is on page 325. Haha, see, I'm making you go back. See if you're paying attention. This is from the good folks at Drawn and Quarterly Toys Talking Hardcover. Always there to comfort and listen to stuffed animals providing. A reassuring presence in many childhood. With toys talking, acclaimed illustrator and author Leanne Shapton explores their inner lives to reveal that their thoughts and feelings are just as complicated as our own. Drawn and Quarterly has some fantastic stuff. You should always be looking at them every month, see what they have. This one caught my eye, and that's what I mentioned. Corey, what's your first five? And now, the uh, Deluxe Publishers. Deluxe publishers are publishers that Diamond says are worthy of being in the front of previews because they have a, I, I think, I forget what percentage of sales they need to have, but they need to have a decent percentage of sales. There are a lot of publishers here. I do want to point out one, Aftershock has a whole bunch of books in here, and Aftershock declared bankruptcy today as I am recording this. So they are going into chapter 11, which is reorganization. Chapter, the other chapter is where they're not going to publish anything anymore. But I, I do want to point this out because one of the things about comics lately has been this huge glut of books. And I've all, I, there's so many coming out. There's no way they can all be profitable. And whenever there's a glut of comics, usually it's because of some reason, such as Aftershock. It's very clear that they were um, trying to sell these comics as properties for TV and movies. IDW, uh, they just sold six series or pilots, I believe. I don't know if they got pilots or they were ordered as series. They do a lot of comics that are basically setting up for series. A lot of these smaller publishers, that's what they're doing. They're publishing these books, hoping that they're able to get a movie or a series out of it. And if they don't, after a while, the money dries up. So I think you're going to see a shakeout in the next year or two of a lot of these smaller publishers as they realize that they're not going to be able to get all of, all of the money that they think they are. Um, in these uh, publishers, there's, uh, let's see, In a Blaze on page 256, they have a box set of all of the Sumerian comics, which are the European adaptations of the Robert E. Howard Conan stories. They call it the Sumerian because 
over in Europe, Robert E. Howard's Conan stories are public domain here in the U.S. They're still under copyright. So there's a loophole if they print them over there and ship them over here. However, they have come to an agreement with the Robert E. Howard people, so they don't have to worry as much about it. These are well-done books. They're much more faithful adaptations with the gore and sex than Marvel was able to do with the with the code. Um, I got to admit, though, I, I much prefer the John Buscema or Barry Windsor Smith art you got a long way to go if you think you're going to be, have better art than those two. All right, let's take a jump to IDW, page 358. First off, I will mention that if you're buying that, hopefully you're buying that Star Trek number five book. It's really a lot of fun, especially if you're a Star Trek fan, because now they can go throughout the entire universe. They're giving us the comic that we should have from the show. Speaking of which, up top, there's number one, Star Trek Defiant. A brand new series coming, spinning directly out of the hit Star Trek comic book. And you have, they don't show all the variant covers. IDW, are you going the way of Marvel? But you get a chance to pick up whatever you want. Underneath, I will mention the Lower Decks trade paperback. I picked up one and two on my geeking day. If you like Lower Decks, buy this book. Go back and hunt out the comics. It's brilliant. On page 365... Let's see. I will mention Super Pancake. It's enough books for young readers. How can you not love Super Pancake? Corey, you need more Super Pancake in your life. Folks, if you want to know more about Super Pancake, well, just listen. Life in Breakfast Town is pretty uneventful for Piggy Pancake. Her parents are always on her case. She's stuck in her perfect brother's shadow. She just can't seem to avoid the bacon bullies at school. That is, until one day after an accidental mix-up, Peggy finds herself with superhero abilities. She can flip, she can fight, she can fly. With the help of her new friends, Luke Croissant, Peggy must master her newfound skills with dangers lurking in the Maple Mountains where Dr. Evil Breakfast Sandwich and his evil hench toasts are plotting something sinister. Can Peggy harness her powers and save all that endear? Hey, you go Superman, you do super villains. here's your chance, Super Pancake! From Last Gasp, right up the page, I saw it graphic novel. I remember picking this up in comic book form. It's life in Hiroshima during the war. It was difficult for a six-year-old. Oh, thank you for the for the hyphenated name. I'm just passing it. Anyways, they made it. They made the best of it on his way to school one bright August morning. He was unaware his hometown would soon be turned into a world of horrors. That morning, he watched as a single airplane soared through the clear blue sky carrying with it the most powerful weapon that have ever, ever been created, the atomic bomb codenamed Little Boy. I actually had done a term paper in college based on the atomic bomb, and I used parts of what I read from his description in the, the term paper. Very riveting, very serious. Here's your chance to own it again at a decent price. The final thing I will mention is on page 368, not final, but, you know, we're doing five at a time. This is out of Living the Line, Centralia hardcover. The earth in and around Centralia is warm so much it's impossible to stand on the ground without melting. Those who survive long enough will be confronted with carnivorous spurs, collapsing buildings, and the trigger-happy 
forget it, I'm not trying it, armed with bazookas and stilts. Against their better judgment, a group of adventurers sends out to discover the treasure of gold hidden away in the heart of the abandoned town. You can actually flop back a page. You get a full-page ad showing a little bit more about it, 144-page full-color on archival paper. So this one actually looks really cool. I'm looking forward to get it. Corey, what's your next five? Frank Miller Presents has two comics. The second issue of Pandora. This one is um, drawn by Emma Kubert, who did the beautiful comic Inkblot, uh, Pandora. They talk more about the creators than they talk about the actual comic itself. Uh, it, it's the second issue. And then the next one is Dan DiDio's Ancient Enemies has a one-shot coming out. I will be picking those up because I still enjoy Frank Miller. I do. I just do. Um, I do want to point out as well, the Fantastic Four, Four Full Circle graphic novel has sold out. They are soliciting a second print. If you have not picked it up, it's on page 276. You need to order that. It is the best Fantastic Four story in the past, since Mark Wade left. Whenever Mark Wade left. And I, oh my gosh, when was that? Was that 10 years ago? 15 years ago? Just a fan, an, an unbelievably good Fantastic Four story. Joe and I both reviewed it a while back. Well worth your money. Well worth picking up. And Alex Ross's art is always going to be phenomenal. Uh, let's see. When you get to Fantagraphics. You go to page 337. New, now, the new comics anthology. It is an Eisner Award-nominated comics anthology. Returns for its seventh year. They have all new work by Cynthia Alfonso, Brano Pratap, Noah Van Scriver, um, legendary cartoonist Peter Bagg collaborates with Brooklyn Nine-Nine writer Matt Lawton on a satire of the new obsolete profession of newspaper gag cartoonists. Also on this page is a hardcover reprint of The Book of Mitchster Natural by R. Crumb, uh, reprinting all 120 pages of vintage Crumb comics about the white-bearded sage. I really wish that they would go back to and reprint the complete Crumb, but I guess we're not going to get that. So, glad I have my copies. All right, let's turn to page 369, which is right across from where we were just a minute ago. Whoops. I can't find it. Oh, there it is. Hunt, Kill, Repeat, number one. This is from Mad Cave Studio. It's Kill Bill meets Clash of the Titans of this all-action-packed series by Mark London. When the Greek gods come to Earth to rule, society is forced to hide all forms of technology that could potentially be considered hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, sorry. I, I really need to get my readers next time I do this. However, one god, Artemis, rejects those rules and has now found solace and love in a mortal. When her brethren discover her treachery, she's called to Olympus to answer for her betrayal. There, the gods rob her of her unborn child and strip away her ungodly powers. Now, ten years later, Artemis is on a quest to revenge 
of for revenge, I'm sorry, to confront her father, Zeus, and discover the truth about what happened to her child. I kid, I used to say Zeus. Ooh, save me, Dr. Zeus. So that one looks good. Let's flop forward to page 375. Bluesman, soft cover. Rosa Parks, graphic novel. A couple cool items from NBM. Bluesman is now collected into one stunning paperback. A story unstructured like any traditional 12 bars blues song. I'm sorry, it is structured like a traditional 12 bars blues song with three sections, each made of four chapters. Follows the blues musicians Lem Taylor's harrowing journey starting from Juke. Joints he appears in across Arkansas to the late in the of the late twenties. It's a black man hunted down for a crime he didn't commit. Great, sounds like a great story. Sounds like something to give all your blues friends. Kitty Corner Rosa Parks graphic novel offered again. If you don't know what, who Rosa Parks is, shame on you. Here's your chance. Figure out the graphic novel. Offered again. Let's see one, two, three. All right, I got two more to share with you. Page going to Oni, Oni. Page 378, My Life Among Humans. A nameless alien data computer data comes to Earth to study humans, setting up a shop on the outskirts of a small desert community in North America. Working under forced labor, it must wash humans in complete secrecy while sending regular reports to its manager back home. Using spore-like technology to read the minds of its host, the alien quickly takes a special interest in Will, one of his early subjects. That Interest proves to be a problem when the alien is accidentally revealed to Will's family, takes desperate measures to save its own life. Again, you've got four pages, a little bit small of preview right on the following page. And it, it was just enough to uh, get me over the edge to want to buy it. And the last thing I will mention before I give it over to Corey again, page 384, Ever Vincent's My Heart is Broken one shot from Opus Comics. They're doing a great job taking various bands and making comic books around them. And this one looks really, really cool. So it's it's a fiery ballad brought to life by Maria McCool, Valerie Romanazzi, and Kelly McKernan. Corey, what else you got? That is one of the things that I'm happy that Fantagraphics does. I am glad that they reprint the old... Um, a lot of the old undergrounds because otherwise they would just be vanishing and they were comics that well you know most superhero fans never even heard of or if they did they picked them up and went uh this is about drugs and booze and i don't care they were phenomenal comics and they came out of a love of older comics it came out of a love of both uh golden and silver golden and atomic age books let's see we do have a marvel novel here marvel rebels and renegades winter soldier a cold front that is on page 374 1954 the winter soldier is the soviet union's greatest weapon assigned to the most dangerous covert mission from the ussr's secret military branch and guided by a handler who knows him better than he knows himself i'm enjoying the marvel novels i've always liked marvel novels even when i was a kid and they had those pocketbook um versions which i'm actually going back and rereading because, hey, haven't read them in 30 years, so they're going to feel fresh. And they do feel fresh. They feel a little dated, but...
I'm also able to get all of them, whereas when I did it as a kid, I was able to get, oh, I got the Spider-Man one. And then maybe a little while later, I could get another one. And I think I only got like four or five of them out of all 11. Uh, on page 390, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, volume 41. These reprints all these reprint all of the Judge Dread stories in nice big thick volumes for those of us who can't afford to buy 2000 AD all the time. I I'm a Judge Dread fan. I'm glad that the these uh, complete case files are finally showing up in America at the same time they show up in England. They're really nice books, really good collections, and I like Judge Dread. Then if you go to page 393, we have another Impossible Jones story by Carl Kessel and David Hahn. Impossible Jones, a thief pretending to be a hero, and Holly Days, a former hero, now a thief. Join up on a girl's night out of drinking, dancing, and danger. Impossible Jones is by Carl Kessel, who's one of the... he His stuff is fun. It's always fun. Fun. It's well done. It's good superhero stuff. You can tell he's a fan of superhero comics without wanting to recycle all the stuff he read as a kid over and over again. I just have so much fun reading anything he does. He's one of those guys, if he's writing it, I'm reading it. Um, we head on over to page 411 for our Tomorrow's Publishing. Got a whole bunch of stuff here I want to point out. First is Alter Ego 181, which is the special Neil Adams issue. Then Comic Book Creator number 30 is a spotlight on Michael Cho. The Canadian comic book artist, illustrator, and graphic novelist. His story Trinity was selected by editor Neil Gaiman for the best American Comics Anthology, and Cho's poignant graphic novel Shoplifter received rave reviews. Also, we chat with one of the publishers of the earliest graphic novels, Will Eisner's A Contract with God Baronet Books, Norman Goldfind. Um, next to that is the Jack Kirby Collector. What you see isn't all what you got with Jack Kirby in our visual comparison issue will reveal thing will reveal things take a curated trip through the most amazing art assemblage ever as we offer side-by-side -side analysis of unused and known covers and art uncorrected images there's barry windsor smith on his stylized interpretation of kirby's pencils in captain america's bicentennial battles newly discovered filler panels from sky masters if you want to know about jack kirby jack kirby collector is the magazine for you it is a quarterly it is fantastic i read it the same way other people read the Bible. <laughs> I also want to point out on page four, 412, they are uh, putting out the John Severn Two-Fisted Comic Artist hardcover again. This is, a, this is a great collection. John Severn started at EC. Like a lot of the artists at EC who didn't move into MAD, because he and Harvey Kurtzman had a falling out of some kind. He did a lot of work for Marvel, and then Atlas in the late 50s and into the 60s, where he drew a lot of Sergeant Fury. He drew some Hulk. His stuff there was great, but he's mostly known now for the years of work he did at Cracked Magazine. 
And now that I am older, I pick up Crack Magazine, not because of the humor, because the humor in Crack was kind of mediocre at best, but for the John Severin art. His art in Cracked was probably the only thing that kept that, that comic afloat for years and years and years and years and years. Um, let's see here. Woohoo! Back to me. 393. Got a couple here from Scout Comics. First one is Dead Fellows. Peter Miller has just gotten out of his two-year relationship, reeling from the chaos of it all. Without friends or family around, he moves into his new, awful, one-bedroom apartment. Pete attempts to take his own life, but is stopped by a benevolent ghost. Moved by the kindness of this supernatural stranger, Pete sets out to bond with his ghosts at all costs, but he under he quickly learns he doesn't understand the paranormal or their intentions. Down a little bit more. Oh, I'm sorry, right across from it. Possible Jones one-shot. Carl Kessel, David Hahn. Possible Jones, a thief pretending to be a hero, and Holly Days, a former hero, now a thief, join up for a girls' night out on drinking, dancing, in danger. Of course, Holly's ex, Krampus, is lurking in the shadows. Imp learns that sometimes the only thing harder than being enemies is being friends. So, and then you get a glimpse into the secret dark files being kept on Impossible Jones and other crime fighters and criminals in New Hope City. So, that looks good. Corey, what else you got? On page 426, Warrant Publishing, you've got not just Vampiris Carmilla Magazine number 14, but you have Vampirellis Carmilla 2024 Annual. It reprints, it recreates the iconic Warren horror annuals popular in the 60s and 70s by emulating Warren's early page layouts. This annual collects the best stories from the first year of Vampirellis Carmella in a perfect bound collector's edition. Each issue is a highly collectible instant classic. Well, let's not go that far. And then I want to point out on page 438, What Not Publishing has got the rights to heavy metal and will be starting it over with a new number one. Uh, I came on reading heavy metal when Grant Morrison took over. It's one of those that I had passed over for years and years and years and years and years, mostly because it was an anthology and it was more expensive and it reprinted a lot of European stuff. And you can't buy everything. (laughs) You just can't buy everything. And I decided, you know, I, I didn't jump in until Grant Morrison took over as editor and his issues got me hooked on heavy metal. This is a new publisher. Grant Morrison doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. They are just starting over. And I will say this. They've got a Peach Momoko cover. They've got a Ben Teplesmith cover. They have a homage to the original Heavy Metal number 1 from 1977. They do point out that the artists and writers... Um, it's 144 pages, $9.99, so they've actually cut the price by $3 from where it was. I'm going to be reviewing it when it comes out because I've enjoyed it, but I can understand why people don't jump on it because I didn't jump on it. Then on page 440 from Z2 Comics, there is Apocrypha, 
The Legend of Baby Metal Softcover. I already have this, but I want to point it out because I missed it when it originally came out. Mostly because I wasn't a baby metal fan yet. Discovered the celestial story of the worldwide heavy metal pop sensation baby metal in Apocrypha. Assuming alternate forms and identities, baby metal must confront the time-hopping force of darkness bent on bringing about the true apocalypse. In the course of the battle, the girls uncover a long-hidden secret that will forever alter the baby metal universe as we know it. If you are a fan of baby metal, you know they have intense amounts of lore behind this band. This ties in with that. This ties in with all the lore for all of the songs and and everything they do in their concerts. You can enjoy baby metal without the lore. But if you follow it, this is a huge part of that. It's uh, it's a Japanese comic. So the art style is very manga-esque. It's really dense as well. I A lot of Japanese comics are very visual and you can read them fast. This thing is super dense. It's a uh, hundred and some pages and it took me a couple of afternoons to read it because there's just so much in it. Really? Okay, well, let's keep going. 395, page 395, we are under Silver Sprocket, Sugar, and Other Story One-Shots, An Immoral Creature... In shoes, a girl's blood sugar stays up. A gory ritual creates a woman's perfect smile. An overworked wife is subsumed by violent fantasies. In this collection of short horror comics, Joy-San masterfully explores the ways in which we contort ourselves, balancing the bloody with unexpected levity. Cross from it, The American Way, a true story of Nazi escape, Superman, and Marilyn Monroe. This is from Shimon and Schuster. Let's see, family lore had it that Bonnie Seeger's grandfather crossed paths in Midtown Manhattan late one night in 1954 with Marilyn Monroe, her white dress flying up around her as she filmed scenes from the seven-year itch. Jules Schubach had his home movie camera with him, capturing what would become the only surviving footage of that legendary night. Bonnie wasn't quite sure she believed her grandfather's story till cleaning out her apartment, she found the film reel. The discovery would prompt her to investigate all her grandfather's seemingly tall tales and lead her in pursuit of a remarkable piece of forgotten history bridging old Hollywood, the birth of comic book, the Holocaust. The, t the book, The American Way, is a vivacious story of two very different men both striving to make their way in New York, their wives intersecting with glitter array of luminaries from Billy Wilder to Joe, Joe DiMaggio to Superman's creator, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. So that actually sounds interesting. On page 402, we are in Source Point Prints. It rhymes with Funt. Bob Woodward is the newly hired director of the Daily Babbler. Babbler. Recently arrived from New York City and ready for a challenge, he had not only counted on that challenge involving an old flame from his troubled past, but with the sudden death of Sebastian Funt, F-U-N-T, his widow, was the richest woman in Man Cave, Kentucky. She set aside her morning to step into his shoes and make her presence felt. She would show this tiny tapioca mining town what real power looked like. They would come to fear the name Margot Funt, but behind her back, the townspeople had another name for her, and it rhymes with Funt. Let's see, Tim Filler, Matt Baker... 
and it's listed as a comedy. So who knows? Maybe they'll make a movie out of that bad boy. On page 408, under, let's see, so I got to go back a bit to see who the publisher is. Sumerian Comics, Rock and Roll Hell. The summer of 91, rural Finland, the Rock and Roll Hell Open Air Metal Festival is in full swing with the American death metal band Feral Carnage. Set to headline during their set, what is first mistaken as an elaborate pyrotechnic show turns out to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. Taking one look at the people in the attendance of the show, Christ damns the festival and, and orders his army of heaven to smite them from his father's creation. Fueled by beer, weed, and the imperious power of metal, Feral Carnage must summon the forces of hell to fight back. Hey, look! They show all the variant covers, including the cassette limited edition cover. Wonder why other publishers can't do that. Page 419, we're going to slip into Valiant Entertainment. I'm sorry. Vault Comics. God fell number one. One sunny day in the land of, forget it, God falls dead from the sky. The impact sends out shockwaves that draw in a royal families at war. Shadowy creatures of the dark and armies of the dispossessed, all coming to lay claim to parts of God's body. Into this power struggle wanders Zanzi, forget it, a soldier and berserker trying to get home from a years-long war, forced to fight her way through the strange landscapes in and on God's corpse, from the soles of its feet to the top of its head. Zanzi will acquire a mysterious traveling companion on her own pilgrimage. And you've got a couple different variant covers to choose from because they were kind enough to show them. I'll take a quick pause here. Corey, you got anything else? In manga, I want to point out on page 460, Yurusi Yatsura by Rumiko Takahashi. The reprinting is complete with volume 17. They will be done with the story. And I remember when this came out as regular comics, if it, it, they never finished it because it was just so long. But they have completed it, which is weird because you've got other manga there like uh, Snow White with the Red Hairs up to volume 23, Comey Can't Communicates up to volume 23. For a book that I thought was unbelievably long when I heard about it, 17 volumes is really kind of short for manga. And I will buy anything by Rumiko Takahashi. I think Rumiko Takahashi is my favorite manga artist and one of my favorite comic creators of all time. All right, on page 423, right across, still in Vault Comics, Bonding, a love story about peoples and their parasites. <laughs> a man, a woman, and their parasites. Marcus has felt alone since the loss of his sister and has just recently entered into the dating scene. Laura has drifted into adulthood after bouncing through foster care. They meet, they have an eventful first date, and Marcus almost dies because a slug-like alien suction cup to his chest nearly rejects him. It's host bonding his funny, quirky, and honest look at love in a world where everyone is host to an alien. That would explain a lot. On page 430. Heavy Metal is back. Volume 2, Issue 1, with a lot of cool covers. Wow. And, of course, across from it, 
is, uh, I guess they call it a homage, 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 Heavy Metal Number no. 1, 1977, to celebrate the launch of its first number one issue in 46 years, an iconic comic artist will deliver a special homage to the original 1977 cover of its first Heavy Metal Number no. 1. Don't miss out. So if you really like variant covers, it's a good thing to go. Page three, I'm sorry, 432, or as I say, the very next page, What Not Publishing, Liquid Kill Number no. 1. Follows the sadist slaughtering vigilantes as they encounter pure evil in a blood-soaked cyberpunk future. It's written by its creator of a critically acclaimed series, It Eats What It Feeds, and artist Gabriel Luzamark. So for the staff and clientele of a mysterious island hotel, it's just another light, another night of luxury and vice until members of Liquid Kill, a notoriously violent all-female militia, Lay siege. Demanding compliance or death as they gather intelligence, the adrenaline quickly floods the hall as the team eliminates all threats with ease as they search for the kidnapped leader, that is, until something is unleashed. Something hungry. If there's anyone prepared for evil on the island, it's these fearless killers, but when the undaunted begin to falter, their foe must be truly monstrous. Various variant covers to choose from. I would probably choose the David Mack one if I don't go with uh, the sketch cover. And on page 440, I'm going to mention Z2 Comics. They're online. They're constantly popping up on my Facebook feed. They're actually going to people and uh, bands and having them, I, I don't know, how would you say, they tell about their stories. And oftentimes online they have various different things. Some autograph their books, some have CDs, things like that. I'm pretty damn sure if Corey hasn't ordered it, he will order the Apocrypha, The Legend of Baby Metal Softcover, right up there on the very top of page 440. I just mentioned that because uh, if Corey hasn't, well, he probably has. And if he didn't, he probably will. And now, let's take our previews catalog, flip it over, and see what we have for Brian. For me, right away, on page 69, dun, 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 there is the Judge Dread Judge Anderson Lawmaker MK2 118th scale figure set. <sighs> it's a previews exclusive, a mere $69.99 for some Judge Anderson Lawmaster Goodney. That would look really cool on your desk. If, if you also on the next page, if you if you need a Judge Dread, Judge Fear, Black and White, one eighteenth scale PX exquisite minifiguring, it's it's right there for you. I will also then point Brian to page seventy six, where you can have a Loki Frog of Thunder life size statue for a mere two hundred fifty bucks. I mean Walt Simonson's Thor. 364 from 1986 had the first small four, and he has since been uh, rechristened Throg. And he's encased in the infamous T365 label while standing on a rocky hill. So, again, another piece that would look really, really cool. But as I know, Brian's probably, you know, doesn't have enough money to. Score all of our good goodliness. So back in the collectible and novelty area, 
Throughout this section, you are going to find Zen Monkey Studios Anniversary Limited Edition pins. They look really cool. But the one I'm going to recommend is down in the corner of page 88. South Park, Pooping Randy Zen Monkey Studio 10th Anniversary pin. Think how impressive the girls will be when you have that sitting on your lapel. And that's all I recommend for Brian for this week from Previews. Then it is time to flip previews to go to all the toys and stuff because our pal Brian Poindexter asked us ages ago, hey, how come you don't ever spotlight the stuff in the toy section? And it's mostly because I do not buy toys. I'm not a toy guy. Um, I'm not a collectible guy. I have started picking up Funko, um, the Funkos every so often, but I don't even pick up a lot of those. So what it is, we flip the book over to find something that we would say, hey, uh, here is a toy that I would buy. And quite honestly, when I looked through this month, there wasn't a lot that jumped out at me because uh, one of the things about the toys is that it's usually a lot of, it's usually a lot of the same properties. It's just, oh, look, here's a new Here's a new toy for it. Here's a new toy for it. But I am a fan of One Piece. And they have a One Piece straw hat three-piece gift set on page 91. And what it is, sometimes you just want to feel like a pirate. So you can get a three-piece gift set, which has a, um, a kind of a tumbler, a pen and a notebook, all carrying the straw hat, Jolly Roger. Now you can live the pirate's life without having to put all those building permits. So I would pick that up. And then right underneath it is a wanted poster and a heat change mug and coaster set. If I were to pick something up, I would pick those up because I am a fan of One Piece. Because it is the holidays, and by the way, uh, we have another episode coming on Friday, our Festivus episode, we, we don't have our regular ads, we have ads for charities, and here's that ad. Operation USA is a Los Angeles-based international disaster relief and development agency helping communities at home and abroad overcome the effect of disasters, disease, violence, and endemic poverty. Since 1979, Operation USA has worked in 101 countries, delivering over $450 million in aid for relief and development projects around the world. Operation USA is a hands-on agency with a small, dedicated staff overseeing our projects and disaster response works. Free of the bureaucracy and overhead of a larger organization, creative solutions allow us to respond to real needs in real time. As founding board member Julie Andrews says, Operation USA is the little ship that gets in the harbor that the big ships cannot go. It is 100% privately funded. They work without any government financial support or the constraints that support may bring. Disaster relief is often associated with the developing world, but since our earliest days, Operation USA has dedicated a portion of their efforts to projects here at home. And as needs have increased, in some years as much as 50% of their work is done in the USA. 
When you donate to Operation USA, you immediately start to make a difference in the lives of the people who need it most. Operation USA is the relief company that I, the relief organization that I give money to because they're the most highly rated organization that does such things in that more of the money goes to the relief rather than to the bureaucracy and salaries of the people involved. You can give to Operation USA at opusa.org. That's opusa.org. What am I freaking on? Well, you know, we, we since our last podcast, we've had Thanksgiving. And how was my Thanksgiving? Oh, you know, family. Another thing I will mention on the freaking category, but it could be geeking as well. If you are able, Peter David apparently has had a number of strokes and on top of kidney failure, failure, he's got steep medical bills incurred from the strokes and a mild heart attack. While we wish him a swift recovery, his wife, Kathleen, has popped up a GoFundMe. It's already gone way above the goal they're trying to raise, forty grand, because Peter David is well-beloved in the comic community. If you get a chance, please donate. I'll probably be dropping 100 bucks as soon as I get off this here podcast. And you just go to GoFundMe, go to Peter David, go to Peter David's Facebook page. It's all linked there. And I wish Pete the speediest of recoveries. Also, as we head into the flu season, it's a bad one. Go out, get your flu shot, wash your hands, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, wear a mask if you're so inclined. The flu season, I know way too many friends are being waylaid by this. I might get waylaid by this. I've got a suppressed immune system due to the meds I take. And of course, COVID's got like 500 different mild variants running around, but just don't take this for granted. Take care of yourself and take care of those around you. Corey? It's time for Freaking and Geeking. Joe, what are you freaking on? I mentioned my freaking a little earlier. I'm only going to have one because Festivus is in a couple of days, so I need to keep a few. But Aftershock, it it was announced a few weeks ago that Aftershock was falling way behind on paying their creators with the information now that they are declaring bankruptcy. They're going into Chapter 11. I'm going to pull up the story on The Beat. It's the first company to fall in the 2023 market correction. Aftershock Comics is filed for Chapter 11 citing between 10 and $50 million in debts and the same amount in assets. Chapter 11 is the kind of bankruptcy that allows for operations to continue while debts are reorganized. They owe half a million dollars to a UK comic distributor, $400,000 to a Canadian printer. Um, they were created by Reeve Gauche Television. Well, they were merged with it. And they they also, the uh, Reeve Gosh Television also uh, filed for Chapter 11. They produced pop, popular cable fare such as The Dog Whisperer, Homicide Hunter, um, 
Aftershock put out some good books and worked with some great creators, had good people at the company like Joe Pruitt, Mike Martz, and Steve Rotterdam, um, the creator of the TV show Halt and Catch Fire talked about how he had created a four-issue comic series, but after getting two done and not getting any payment, he quit working on it. Uh, if you go to The Beat, comicsbeat.com, you get a really nice article about it with a list of all of the creditors. Um, they're the first major comic company to file for bankruptcy in some time, but it may not be the last. Another company is informally reorganizing as we speak. Obviously, this will be topic one for a while. They will update the story. You're going to see a lot of these smaller companies that were angling to get media properties. If they haven't had a big media property, you're going to see them start to fade away. There are too many publishers and too many comics coming out, and a lot of these comics are loss leaders where they're being created in order to take around in Hollywood to sell as TV series or movies or cable series. And we're also seeing that a lot of these streaming companies like Netflix, like Disney Plus, like Peacock, like Hulu, um, AMC, their streaming service, they're going to be laying off a whole bunch of people. They're talking about how they're going to have to reorganize. There are people who are wondering if Shutter, which is owned by AMC, is in trouble. The golden age of streaming is over. Uh, there's they, They've kind of peaked at growth. The major studios saw the money that Netflix was making. They all created their own. And the problem is they've cut up the pie so much that they're not making money. So the companies that are wanting to create content for these streaming services are also going to be running into trouble. I think it's going to be, I'm not going to say it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot like what went on with HBO Plus, where all of a sudden a streaming service is going to have to go, yeah, we're almost out of money, so we're cutting. I don't think Disney will do that because Disney is... They're putting their whole future into their streaming service. They feel the streaming service is where to go because Gable's dying. I agree with them on that. I just don't know how it's all going to shake out. Um, I think it was important that a, a couple of years ago, WWE kind of licensed their entire streaming service to Peacock because then they get a guaranteed amount of money and Peacock gets a whole bunch of content so that WWE, one of the first in the streaming network um, world, saw that, okay, we've reached our maximum growth. The only way for us to make more money is to actually put the content on some other service. You're also, whatever happens with the NFL is going to be really interesting. This is the biggest shakeup in sort of, television overall since Fox bought, got the rights to the NFL. When Fox got the rights to the NFL, they became an actual network. Before that, they were just kind of here and there. You know, Simpsons was a hit, but the rest of their stuff was just kind of come and go, and they weren't really thought of by viewers or by producers, the people who make shows, as a legit network until they got the NFL, which all of a sudden, oh, now every city has to have Fox because everybody wants the NFL. 
All right, now for geeking. I have had an absolutely fun, fun week. I mean, it started off... First off, I went to a uh, a show that was the... I think it was the uh, Midwest or Minnesota Comic Exchange. They put on a show at the Maple Valley Mall. This is one of those places where I, I talked to Corey. we got to get you out of your funk and get you to one of these shows. Yeah, we have a lot of fun visiting stores. But there were so many incredible deals at this show. I just I literally ran out of time. I had like five, 600 bucks saved up for Black Friday geeking, which I'll get to in a minute. I blew about 300 of it. And that also includes picking up the Ali Garcia Supergirl sketch he did for me, which I'll be posting in my Supergirl gallery. You can look at it on my Facebook page, Crazy Joe Ryder, because I have everything wide open. Just go into my photos, look for the album Supergirl Art. You see everything I just posted from the last couple of years, as well as the new stuff, and Ali's print will be the last one there. As for at the show, I picked up some amazing things from a friend, Steve Henninger. I got a signed autographed clerk's that both Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes signed. I picked up All-Star Comics Showcase number one, which I must have had at one time. Again, this person had all these showcases for five bucks, and I just... Uh, <laughs> I found a Hot Wheels number one for five bucks. There was just tons of stuff there, and I posted it. I'm really excited to see what there is to read. After that, I had a great day. We met up with Pat Gruber, Butch, and Steve again for our semi-annual Corey Strode Lunch Inn. Corey was represented as, as usual. Uh, and it also reminded me that 30 years ago, you know, everybody's celebrating the death of Superman. Well, that's about the same time Pat and I bought our shop, and it really makes me feel old. You know, it's funny. I think, oh, I sold my shop 20 years ago. But to think that we started it 30 years ago, and just a lot of good memories. Go to... Solo Joe on the Corey's website, and you'll see I did an interview with Pat. I don't know if it was one or two parts where we talk about those early years getting together. And there's still memories that we'll have as things go on. And, of course, we'll, we'll find pictures. And it was just a great time to, to lunch. And we're going to meet again sometime on another Tuesday. So if you happen to be around, you're always, well, you're always welcome to stop in. Then, of course, there was... Various Black Friday sales. I don't even want to tell you what I spent on Dynamic Forces. I did go nuts on some in-stock trade graphic novel. Omnibuses, that is. I picked up Defenders 1, Spider-Man McFarlane, X-Men 1 and 2, The Incredible Hulk 1, Doctor Strange 2 and 3, which means now, mostly for like Defenders, Spider-Man, Incredible Hulk, and Doctor Strange... I'll have to decide, do I want to keep those comics or those essentials, or do I want to sell them? Because, yeah, it's it's cool to have a whole row of essentials, but if I have the color version, I'll read that as well. The fun didn't stop there, because then we hit Black Friday. And on Black Friday, oh, oh well, you're going to hear about all about Black Friday, because Corey recorded as much as we can, whereas Butch, Corey, and I running around, and we talked a bit about what we bought. I, oh, it was amazing. Some of the things I bought at all the different stores we hit. Uh, some of the fun things I'll mention, I picked up a Logan's Run, the trade paperback that was signed by William Nolan. So that was kind of fun. 
I'm just kind of browsing through. I found a Yang number one, the Carlton book, which amazingly was a lot like the last issue of Yang, if you can find it. I also picked up a book called Devil Dog Dungan from the uh, Golden Age, where he's sitting there, let's go, Jirens! Dungan's outnumbered up here as he's being attacked. And he, meanwhile, Dungan's just sitting there, shucks, I'll never get to finish this story now as he's reading a comic book. So that was kind of fun. Picked up a lot of Dells. I picked up runs of Dominatrix from Gene Simmons, which I'm missing one issue. I thought I picked up a full run of Girl Frenzy, but apparently I'm missing one. So you know how I feel about that. There was the, let's see, uh, the Terrifics. Picked up a run there. I'm just kind of browsing through. So Deadhead 17 Omnibus. A bunch of miniseries. A bunch of Star Trek books. A Fat Bastard figure. Heroes Reborn, the original epic. Uh, brain fart. Oh, that was the yeah, that was the one I've been trying all this time to get the the uh, comics for. Now I now that I've almost got everything except the Captain America one, now I bought the omnibus. It's cheap enough. And I also picked up a the Uncanny X-Men trading cards, a complete series. That was a series back that Jim Lee did. And it comes with a card, of course. And it was just I don't know, it just sits a sweet spot. And I talked about it on the podcast as Corey was recording or as we were driving. So a lot of the stuff I picked up, including all the Star Trek novels, we'll probably be talking about as time goes on. And you think that was enough? I went to the Toy Posse sale that was on Saturday, and I'm trying to find what I picked up there. Oh, I lost the picture. Oh, well, I picked up some stuff there as well. Just, it was just a crazy week. I'm dead broke. I'm not even going to pimp the eBay's KRAYZ because I've been putting up stuff like crazy. Not only duplicates that I bought in the feeding frenzy, but also things that have been sitting around for a while. Uh, other good news, I will mention that the Rochester Comic Book Shop book reviews reopened. His nephew has reopened it after the owner's death. We talked about it years ago on our first trip down south to uh, nerding out and it was a fantastic store with books comics sports cards and games it's in rochester minnesota i don't i'm looking for the address but i'm not gonna waste time looking at it because we we got it there i've been buying stuff off the ebay's of course from heroes initiative i got a king in black well they, they said king in black but it was a beta ray bill number one that was cbsc authenticated it's a True Believers first reprinting of the first appearance of Beta Ray Bill in Walt Simonson's first run. Phew, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? He's autographed it, and he also remarked it. And because it was for charity, I went silly, but I'm very, very happy with it. I did pick up a Fighting America number one that was signed by Rob Liefeld, a Star Trek five that was signed by Peter David, and I picked this up before Peter David's Hell Scare, but I also wanted it because Gordon Purcell did the art, and I'll probably, if when I ever I see him again, have him record it. So I've been buying stuff off the Ebays as well. Let's see, what else we got going? Oh, a couple movies. 
I watched the Weird Al movie. I believe it's on Roku TV. Fantastic. Lots of fun. I did mention... I, I'm looking back. I, I don't know if I mentioned that I also was catching Earthstorm on Netflix, which is for a series that shows some very chilling footage of tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes, and hurricanes. For example, I'll just tell you the one. These guys were filming a volcano and a pyroclastic flow was coming at them. They got off the bridge as they're speeding away. The bridge gets engulfed and you see a person running down the road and they go, that man, it's a, they couldn't stop. They'd have been killed. This cloud overtook the guy. He's dead. These flows move up to 90 miles an hour. They are 100 if not hundreds of degrees, if not a thousand degrees of heat and dust and from the volcano. Amazing, scary footage, terrifying footage. It's on Netflix, only four series. Four issue, I'm sorry, four episodes so far. I'm just clump thinking about it. So it's worth checking out. Also, my wife and I have joined the crowd. We jumped on board and watched the first two episodes of Wednesday which is uh, Tim Burton's remake on, not remake, but just kind of a furthering adventures of Wednesday Adams as she goes off to school. Fantastically dark, funny show. My wife and I both laughed because there's a scene where somebody insults Thing and he jumps up in the middle finger and we both went, ha! And we just had to stop because we were laughing so hard. We're thinking, yeah, yeah, you didn't get to do that on the TV shows, but just a fantastic show, just like everything else. I hope it's going to have a second season. So that's pretty much it for me. Geeking wise, Corey, what are you geeking on? Geeking. I have been reading so many comics the last few weeks. And I've not had time to talk about them, so I'm only going to hit on a few. First, I am going to talk about Wordsmith. It was a it was a 12-issue series that came out in the 80s. Um about a pulp writer. It was 12 issues published by Renegade Press. It's one of those where I found the pack. And I know I've got them in the storage somewhere. But, oh, look, here's all 12 issues for $5. And it is a great mix of a... Each issue had kind of a pulp story that the lead... that the. Uh, protagonist was writing as well as his personal life showing how he grew from a struggling penny award writer to then getting a novel deal and then getting a deal with writing for movies and how a lot of pulp writers sort of the ones who survived went on that path they moved from the pulps to the comics to um, movies to writing for radio etc etc and very well researched i enjoyed it a lot if you could find it cheap pick it up the problem is you know it came out in the 80s and it didn't sell well back then um the next is a comic that butch pointed out to me called Maniac in New York, which sounds stupid, but the way Butch described it to me sounded kind of cool. And what it is, it's, you know, it, when when people went to see uh, whatever Friday the 13th, Jason takes Manhattan, they wanted to see Jason 
going wild in New York City. And you only got a little bit of the. This is sort of a version of that, except it's it, it's twisted enough that it's much more interesting. The first miniseries is that the killer is on a subway. The city, knowing that he's there, has shut down the subway so that no that he can't get out two cops are on to try and catch him and there's some other stuff involved if you're a horror fan this is an excellent excellent comic it is from aftershock which means uh yeah but i really enjoyed it i liked it a lot want to point it out to people if you're a horror fan um, go ahead and pick it up. Also want to point out, if you head on over to Mark Hansen's stuff, Mark Hansen, creator of, um, Ralph Snart Adventures, they're all up there for free. He's giving them away for free. I don't know how long it will last, but I downloaded them all. Ralph Snart was a humor comic that started in the 80s from Now Comics, and, you know, had a lot of fits and starts, as now comics had a lot of fits and smart starts. But Mark Hansen's cartooning is phenomenal. It's juvenile. It's puerile. It's gross. It's about Ralph Snart, who's crazy and likes beer. And some of the comics are about when he's not in the asylum. Some of them are about his daydreams when he's in the asylum. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it doesn't matter. They're funny. They're they're not for kids. And I I just love the Ralph Snart stuff. I there's no way to describe it. You haven't read anything like it. It's free. MarkHansonStuff.com. It's free. Go pick it up. The last thing I am going to be geeking on is that the 100th anniversary of the birth of Stan Lee, the Omnibus came out. It's an excellent collection of Stan Lee stuff. It has his first story for Marvel and his last story for Marvel. It has some of his humor stuff. It has some of his uh, horror stuff. It has some of his westerns. It has a lot of the superhero stuff. It's a, it's a great book. Um, and it's a, it's a nice tribute to Stan. I am not one of those Kirby fans who feels that Stan Lee needs to be bashed at all times. I, I have said it before. I will say it again. I will say it every time I am asked. Stan Lee was the greatest editor comics ever had. Anyone who worked for him usually put out their best work. The Johnny Ramita was a solid romance artist until he came over, worked on Marvel, and became how Marvel looked after Jack Kirby left. You know, John Buscema worked in advertising. You see his stuff in the 50s, and it's okay, it's not great. When he came back, he worked with Stan, and his art became kind of the standard. I can't tell you how many people got into comics in the, in the 70s and 80s and looked at John Buscema, the same way people before that looked at Jack Kirby. It was that's how comics are supposed to look. And I can't tell you how many fans, you know, people my age who 
that's how comics should look. A comic should look like John Buscema drew it. And they didn't draw like that before they worked with Stan Lee. Uh, Stan oversaw Roy Thomas in his starting. He oversaw Steve Ditko during Ditko's most creative, fertile period. He oversaw Jack Kirby when Jack Kirby created stuff that blew away everybody in the industry. Jack was always creating stuff, but I think that the stuff that he worked on with Stan, Stan sort of polished off the rough edges, developed his stuff better. You know, I love the new gods, but it's really clear that they weren't really developed. It was just, Jack was just throwing ideas where Stan would go, okay, we're going to do a story. Let's develop the Silver Surfer. Let's give the Silver Surfer more of a personality. Let's delve deeper into this stuff. And it's um, it's a beautiful tribute to Stan. I have a lot of comics that I picked up on um, Black Friday. And then, you know, because it's near the end of the year, a lot of the stuff that I've ordered that's been late has piled up. So the last thing I'm geeking on is the fact that I have... Um, most of the week of Christmas off. I work on Christmas Day. I have one shift at my office job. I have a couple of shifts at the group home job. But the rest of the time, I just have off. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time sitting on the couch, reading comics, listening to music, just relaxing. Maybe I'll record a podcast or two. Maybe. And there we go, kids. You have wasted an hour and a half of your life listening to Joe and I blather on about funny books. And as we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better than the comic that you like the most. Hit my music.